0: Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Good morning, and welcome to East City Wesleyan Church. I'd like to say, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, What a day of celebration, and this is one of the unique holidays that is shared between New Zealand and the United States on the same exact date so mom happy mother's day i love you and uh, i'm glad you're able to join us for services even though we live halfway around the world so for many of you you've been tracking with us over these last two months uh, that we're in a series of the story diving into 31 weeks of scripture written in chronological order broken down into many series throughout And today we're diving into an Old Testament narrative about a shepherd to a king. Now, that sounds like an unlikely story, but guess what? The Bible's filled with them, with those stories that God chooses the underdog. God leads people in the road less traveled. And it's so countercultural to everything that's established that it sits there and just invites us in to God's story. Now, in understanding God's story, we see the upper story, what's going on in the heavens, uh, God and the angels and, and the Trinity just working together to execute their plan within creation. And then the lower story, that's not completely exempt from the upper story, but we don't always understand what's going on simultaneously, except for when we're reading Scripture. And we see how those two are so beautifully intertwined And we pick up a story about David, Samuel, Saul, and uniquely to Mother's Day, an unnamed mum. Someone who sees the great injustices of the baby of the family. The youngest son that had very few privileges, was overlooked often, and was often treated like an outcast or an outsider to the family tree. And something unique that David writes in the book of Psalms is Psalm 86, verse 16. He says, uh, Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just, the, catch this, just as my mother did. A God-fearing mom, a woman after God's own heart. And and that would have a ripple effect through David, to where Samuel's life would be intertwined with David's for a special anointing from a shepherd to king. It's a beautiful story. We're going to dig into it. So, if you've already read chapter 11 of the story this week, you'll be well informed with what we're going to pull apart and learn from to say, God, help us to learn something more about you and help to grow our relationship that we have with you this morning. So, Samuel was a judge and a prophet. And in the lineage of passing on leadership and the family farm and inheritances, you hope the best for your sons. But uniquely in his story proves true what Dr. Kevin Lehman says. He says, the thing I love about my faith is that God gives me free will to choose. I just hate the fact that he gives that same privilege to my children. And Samuel's sons were not good. They took bribes, they were easily swayed one way or the other, and when they were looked at as dynamic leaders to help rule a nation, they didn't rise to the occasion. They fell short of the leadership and empowerment in which they had. And the people recognized that after Samuel, life was not going to be good, and they saw how all the nations around them had power and authority, had executive leadership. Of kings, powerful nations, and a fear that maybe one day they would get captured. One day they would find their way back to slavery because they didn't have someone to rule them, to lead them, to see the nation succeed as a great mark in history. So they ask for a king. Samuel goes around looking for a king to appoint and anoint. To lead God's nation, God's people. And he anoints Saul, Saul that stood very tall. He, if you could write out a profile of what you wanted your king to be, Saul ticked all the boxes. He anointed Saul. Saul leads the nation of Israel and it leads us to a time of turmoil, time of chaos, if you will. That this series that we're in is called The Good? Was some of his reign and leadership good? Absolutely. The bad? He made some mistakes. And the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And and it, it shows itself, it manifests itself so often throughout the Old Testament story, onto the New Testament, and probably if we're honest, into our own personal lives. The times that are good, The times that are not so good and they're bad. And the times that are just downright ugly. So that's what we really want to be challenged by this morning. So Israel was in a tough situation. The nation was in chaos. And there needed to be some changes. So the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. First Samuel 16:1, or page 145 in the story. So to set off onto a journey. And I think the heartache, the frustrations, but to highlight the obedience of Samuel and what made him such a dynamic leader for the Lord, that even when it went against the grain of empowering and positioning his sons for great glory, he turned the other way and went the road less traveled and headed to Bethlehem to appoint Jesse's son, the next king of God's people. So he heads to Bethlehem to extend an invitation to anoint the future king of Israel. It was a surprise invitation. It was going to nobody. From nowhere in particular. So Samuel's on this mission by God and is heading to Bethlehem to anoint one of Jesse's sons. And I have to ask the question who would you look for if you were walking in Samuel's shoes? Would you look for the strongest, the most prestigious, the most educated, the most cultured? What do you look for in your leadership? Where would you look? the executive offices, the executive houses, the people of power and authority already in the community, to rule an entire nation. Who would foot the bill in your context? So when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliad and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Documented in First 1 Samuel 16.6. And I think his. All the sons were presented to Samuel. He thought, I see why the Lord's led me to Bethlehem. These men look like they could easily be kings. And Jesse, I think the excitement of having someone in such powerful stature as Samuel, a respected individual across the land, to say, I want to anoint one of your sons today. And as they stood proudly wondering, is it me? Is it me or is it my brother standing next to me? But no one thought what was about to happen in the house that day. For in First Samuel sixteen seven it says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Every time Samuel was presented with one of Jesse's sons, the Lord rejected him, said, That's not the one. And they get down to the end, seven sons presented to Samuel. And Samuel thought, maybe I missed it. He was so in tune to hearing God's voice and being led by the Lord that he couldn't make sense of why all sons had been presented, and yet they hadn't found the person to anoint. So he asks Jesse, he says, is there another son? And there is still the youngest, Jesse answered, he is tending the sheep. 1 Samuel 16, 11. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, I loved family holidays. I love things like Christmas, Easter, in my American culture, Thanksgiving, that we'd all gather together for a big feed. All the family, aunts, uncles, cousins, family friends, people that were like family would join us for these special occasions. And Being one of the middle cousins, not quite old enough to make it to the adult table, but I would often find myself on the trestle tables, the fold-out tables, in the other room, sitting at the kids' table year after year. Now, that was right because I enjoyed time with my cousins, but there was always that lingering of, what's going on at the adult table? And some of the favorite treats, some of the things that were a bit limited uh, at the buffet-style eating, all made it to the adult table, but maybe didn't make it to the kid table. And I was crushed by this because some of my favorite treats, like egg dog, never got presented to the kitty table until someone would give you a glass and say, okay, there's some leftovers. And I think of David, cast away to the kitty table, not invited to the relevant things that were going on in the home. And he was missing out on this presentation of his brothers before Samuel to be anointed, to see a future unravel before their very eyes of excitement and great stature. And Jesse didn't even think about bringing them. It's a heartbreaking story. So Jesse sends for his youngest son, David, to come and be presented before Samuel. And something wild happens in this moment. And we're reminded again in 1 Samuel sixteen seven, it says the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I have to ask, how many times have you judged a book by its cover? Or maybe when have you been judged by your outward appearance and not what was in your heart or perhaps the better question and maybe the one that cuts deep is When have you been praised by your CV, your resume, your accolades, your fill in the blank, all of your accomplishments and your achievements when what was in your heart was perhaps a bit bad or even ugly praised by all the things of this world but dark and empty on the inside, saying, oh God, refine in me something more beautiful in my life. Work on my heart that I might be changed and transformed. What does your heart look like today? So David comes in from the fields and it's clear as day to Samuel. This is an inspiring part of the story. This is the rooting for the underdog. This is the punchline, if you will. Because reality is that God has a place for each and every one of us. It says, Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. This is the one. When David walked into the room without a shadow of a doubt, knowing he didn't mess up on the other seven, but God clearly laid it out that David was to be the one to be anointed. God has this tendency to pick the nobodies, nobody notices. The people that go overlooked so often, the underdogs. It's a story of inspiration. So if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul writes in the New Testament. So relevant back then in David's story, in the New Testament stories of the early church, in my story, and hopefully in your story. If God is for us, who can be against us? The book of Isaiah, chapter 40, 43, verse 1 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So David is anointed and lives happily ever after. No, that's not really the rest of the story, is it? If you've been digging into the pages of Scripture, you would know that it was a rough and rocky road ahead. That I wonder about David's brothers that thought, man, I thought this was going to be a good day. What's going on with Samuel and David? What just happened? Why did we witness our youngest brother receive a very special anointing? It's got to be wrong. It's got to be a mistake. Because they didn't get that special blessing. So although Samuel has anointed David to be the next king, David would not begin to see this come to fruition right away. In fact, David didn't become king until he was about 30 years old. 2 Samuel 5.3 So what did he do in the 15 or so years in between this time? Samuel's anointing and the time that he would sit on the throne as the king of Israel, God's chosen people. He worked as a servant for the current king, King Saul. David went back and forth between tending his father's sheep and serving King Saul. Now, this is very interesting to me because anointed... Recognized to be the next king, yet even his own father keeps him in the fields tending the sheep. That he would become a servant, not a a, a prized warrior or a place of authority within the king's court, but he would serve the current king with his musical abilities and his talents. During one of his trips to work at home, his father asked him to go check on his brothers. They were fighting against the Philistines, one of Israel's constant enemies. When David arrived at the front line, he saw an incredible sight. For the battle that was taking place was happening in a very unusual way. The opposing armies stood on opposite hills with a valley between them. From these distant hills, they would show defiant, They would shout defiantly at each other. The deal that each side would choose one warrior, and the two of them would fight to the death. Winner takes all. The problem was who the Philistines to, chose to fight for them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Goth, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and the iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him, First Samuel 17, 4, 7. To paint the picture in reality, two armies... Massive armies, filled with warriors, to say, let's not have unnecessary deaths in this valley. But let's put up our best warriors, winner takes all, and the Philistines with this mighty plan of, we have a giant on our side, we cannot lose. They put up Goliath and what happens to the nation of Israel. Incredibly, this scenario took place every day for 40 days. The armies would assemble on the battle line. Goliath would step forward and Israel would tremble in fear. But things were about to change. David had arrived just in time to hear Goliath's defiant words. 1 Samuel 17, 24 documents this story. David left his things with the keeper of supplies. Ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Goth, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now, David couldn't believe his eyes. His surprise wasn't because of the giant Goliath and how huge and massive of a warrior he was. He was surprised that the armies of Israel were running away. Forty days of opportunity to defeat the Philistines, yet no one would step up to fight the giant. David had an entirely different perspective on the battle. Sure, in David's story, there was a giant, but this battle took place within a much larger story. David was fighting on behalf of God, and that was a big distinction. Goliath, that was fighting for honor and pride of his mighty stature and the victory in war, that would win a battle once again for the Philistines, David with no fear and a broken heart in his kinsmen that says, we've lost our way. That if, if we can't stand up to the challenge of this giant, we have to understand that we're fighting on behalf of God and God is on our side. So David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. First Samuel seventeen forty-five through forty-seven. So, do you see what a difference it makes when we rise about our own limited perspective and see things from a higher level? All of a sudden, we realize it's not all about us. There's a bigger story going on that these. 15 years earlier, being anointed by Samuel, being taught by his mother the love of God and the honor of God to be a man after God's own heart, says that this battle is on behalf of the Lord and I will stand for God's people. I will stand for the Lord Almighty. Through David... God brought victory to the nation of Israel. With Goliath defeated, God's people enjoyed peace once again. As the army returned home, the people met them and celebrated. But what had what should have been a joyful homecoming was the beginning of years of trouble for David. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul was singing and dancing with joyful songs, the tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten First Samuel 18, 6-7. So, because God was with David, he had tremendous success in everything that he did. So much so, that King Saul became jealous. The king jealous of a shepherd on more than one occasion Saul tried to kill David but David was able to escape time and time again finally David flees for his life and lives for years on the run it's a crazy story Psalm 59 verses 1 through 4 says deliver me from my enemies O God protect me from those who rise up against me deliver me from evildoers and save me from bloodthirsty men. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me, for no offense or sin of mine, O Lord, I have done to, done no wrong. Yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look at my plight. God protected David from Saul. During this time, David gathered his own band of followers that were loyal to him and upon Saul's death there were 7 years of fighting between those loyal to Saul's sons and those loyal to David finally the young shepherd that was a man after God's own heart becomes a king over all of Israel upon becoming king over all of Israel David took the city of Jerusalem as his own he established This is the city of David. From here, David led Israel for 33 years. Later, Nathan the prophet brought words of reflection from God. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now, I will make you, your name, like the names of the greatest men on earth. 1 Chronicles 17, verses 7 through 8. So, from shepherd to king, how is this possible? From least among his brothers to the greatest in the kingdom in which he lived. How did this happen? God found in David a man whose heart was turned to him. Even when he falls, as we will see in the next chapter, David relies upon God for restoration. He also realizes the need for his heart to be changed by God. So I want to ask you this morning, what's the status of your heart? Do you tend to lean towards God or away from him? Could you be referred to as a man or a woman after God's own heart. As we allow God's story to become more and more real in our lives, we will see our hearts change. We will become more in tune with God's plans and more in tune with God's heart. It'll change the way we act. It'll change the way we respond. It'll change the way we look at tomorrow and live for today. Search me, O God, and know my heart; test me and know my anxious thoughts. see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting psalm one thirty nine twenty three and twenty four book of Romans chapter eight verses thirty seven through thirty nine says no In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how about we put it this way? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither poor health, neither debt, nor the loss of jobs, neither today's deadlines, nor tomorrow's diagnosis, nor any job transfer or transition, neither addictions, nor moral failures, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And to that I say, Amen. Now this morning, we're challenged to take a look within. Within our own heart to say, God, reveal in me the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I want you to ask a sincere question the bad and the ugly bits that are represented in your life, are they forgiven? Are they forgiven by Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross? That we come clean of our sin, say, God, forgive me for my wrongdoings. Shape me and mold me. We have that opportunity right now. You don't have to wait until we're meeting in the sanctuary again. You don't have to wait until a pastor can pray over you. But you can cry out to Jesus right now to say, God, forgive me of my faults and my failures. Forgive me of my sin. Would you do that this morning? Renew in me the Spirit of the Lord to make me a man after God's own heart. It's a beautiful heart cry. It's a beautiful anthem. And I hope it becomes action to be real and true in your own life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunities to gather together this morning online. God, to open up your word, to read stories like David's that he went from the sheep pastures of working in isolation and all alone to a throne to not just rule over people, but to carry out some beautiful and amazing plans. God, to establish your truth, your life, and your inspiration and love to the people of Israel. God, thank you for this story, but thank you for the story that you're writing in each and every one of us. And God, thank you for inviting us to be active participants in your story. So God, pray a special blessing over each and every person gathering together today to worship you as the family of God, the people of God. And we all say, Amen. God bless you.